Welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast, brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed, providing expert support and advice across all your corporate finance, due diligence, tax and accounting needs. BDO have been a champion of our industry for many years and are really proud to support many of the best brands in hospitality. If you want to make sure your business is in the safest of hands financially, BDO would love to take you for a coffee to understand your business vision so that they can help you get there. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how BDO can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. Supersonic. 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 From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink, and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up. Tell all your friends and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks and advice on how you can make your brand boom. So it's a little after breakfast time and getting into brunch time. And today I have the real pleasure of meeting a new friend of the show, And that's Jonathan, who is one of the founders of The Breakfast Club. Thanks so much to Charlie McVeigh for putting us together. I was really pleased that Jonathan agreed to do the podcast because he doesn't do much of this stuff in terms of media or promotion. And also it was most definitely his first podcast experience. Today we cover The Breakfast Club, how it came about. We cover people, including the amazing Hayley Simpson. And also we talk about all the things that you shouldn't do as an entrepreneur if you want a successful business. So it gives me the most, my mum loves a sausage pleasure ever to introduce the amazing, one of my new friends, Jonathan from The Breakfast Club. Good afternoon, Mark. Hello. Is it afternoon? It, it is. is afternoon. It's just afternoon. Just. Well, at least you're on the poll. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, been coming thick and fast today. I'm so pleased to meet you because we don't really know each other yet. So no, this is about half an hour into our relationship. Yeah. It's going well so far. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Well, first off by saying, without blowing smoke, you know, huge fan of you guys and your brand and the things that you're doing and obviously huge fan of some of the people uh, that have worked in there as well. So shout out to Hayley, who we might end up uh, covering a bit later on. Yes, and, we definitely will be talk talking about, about Hayley later on. Talk about her. But I thought what would be quite important, well, A, to thank Charlie uh, McVeigh for putting us in touch um, for just being the serial networker that he is. Seems to know everyone, so bless him for doing that. And thanks to you, because I know you don't do many of these things. So huge thank you for... Yep. Um, my pleasure. Chatting yeah. away. So yeah, I'm I'm really blessed. So I guess the first thing was your background. So how the hell did you end up doing what you're doing? Um, so, so I suppose there isn't uh, there isn't a a typical way to get into hospitality. I don't think uh, you know if you ever speak to anybody about how they got involved, nobody's got the same story. Most people say 
that they tend to stumble into it. Mm. I think I'm one of the few people actually can it was a bit of a childhood dream. Okay. Uh, which is quite unusual. I, I, I grew up on, and I'm not sure if you remember it, but I was just a mad fan about uh, the the US sitcom Cheers. Yes. Uh, so that I grew up on that as a sort of between like in my teens, uh, and I was the geeky '80s kid with the VHS tapes. Not Beta Max. Not Beta Max. Oh, definitely man, not Beta Max. Uh, all stacked across my bedroom shelves, and they had just like countless episodes of Cheers. Uh, and I just used to watch this endlessly, you know, like in a really geeky kind of way. Yeah. Um, Did you have a favourite? Who was the favourite in, oh, in the it's cast? It's got to be, yeah, Sam Malone. Made Sam, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, so I'd always had this thing about working in a bar. Um, again, I was one of those people that, I love Tom Cruise in cocktails, just weirdly. <laughs> the only other thing I wanted to be was potentially a fighter pilot after like watching Top Gun. So I was a bit of a Tom Cruise geek as well, but that's kind of hopefully changed over the last few years. Um, How's your Scientology getting on? No, not too great. No, no, no. But I'm working on it. I'm Good. working on it. Um, so yeah, the, it has always kind of been the dream. And uh, sort of as soon as I was 18, I got myself a job in uh, what, what was the Maestro nightclub in Bradford. So that was... Probably late 80s, early 90s, um, and uh, around the time when Pete Waterman and Michaela Strachan were doing... Oh, Hitman and Her. Hitman and Her, you remember it? Yeah. Good man. Late night. Um, and I remember the first drink that I served was a, it was a Red Stripe beer, which is why we still serve Red Stripe beer in every breakfast club. Love Red Stripe um, Went on to uni, again, just sort of seemed to work more full-time in, um, in bars and pubs than I did to sort of doing my uni work. It was up in St Andrews in Scotland, which... Like nobody knew about until Kate and William went there yeah, a few years it's beautiful, back. Beautiful, isn't it? Dad, four years there, and a couple of years in Edinburgh afterwards in the grass market. Don't know if you ever came across Biddy Mulligans in the grass yes. market. So it was a, a fairly legendary Irish bar. So I managed that for a couple of years, uh, and then I phoned my mum up. Told my mum, said, "I think this is kind of what I want to do for a for a career." And I, so I kind of heard my dad in the background going, "No, he's not doing that." And I think in the nineties. Kind of the whole hospitality thing wasn't very sexy, to be honest. It mm. was kind of what you fell back on uh, when you weren't sure about what you wanted to do. Um, so he, he wasn't too sure about it. And mm. so I took their advice. I went off and did. Uh, I went and joined Warner Brothers on their graduate programme. Oh. This is going way too deep in terms of uh, detail, isn't it, yeah. Mark? No, no, no. no we are great. all right with yeah. this. Uh, and that, that was working in their sort of cinemas uh, in their sort of leisure sector and actually kind of... It's really set me up really well for this job because mm-hmm. he's working with the same types of people uh, and also sort of very customer-focused. In a weird way, I got this job setting up their customer relations desk because I was, I was an amazing person at turning people's bad experiences around. So whenever anything went wrong, I was the guy they sent to speak to the customer that kind of hopefully turned it around. So yeah. for some reason, they thought that was enough for me to set up this team at Warner Brothers that dealt with all the kind of customer relations uh, issues that they had, which then bizarrely led to the most uh, w- the weirdest tangent in terms of career move. I'm a big football fan. Um, What's and the team? Liverpool. <sighs> okay, it's great times to be a Liverpool fan. <laughs> sure. But it's been a long time. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time coming. Um, at the time, the FA were looking to recruit and set up a what essentially was a customer relations team. Um, I think the worst thing you can say to a football fan is that they're a customer. But the FA was sticking with it. So it's essentially. Mm. It was the the FA's relationship with the general public. I've run the team that, uh, of people that would answer the phone on a Monday morning after a big game on a Sunday, and it would generally, no disrespect to Arsenal fans, it would be Arsenal fans coming 
in phoning up complaining about refereeing decisions and that's kind of part of the job the other part of the job was uh dealing with the kind of the whole england ticketing england fans um a lot of the the kind of reputation of england fans so we worked uh we did a lot of really cracking work over the years in terms of just trying to improve that reputation so we'd go i'd I'd travel around the world with with the england team which you know for a for a for a football fan was a was an amazing experience you know i went to got i was lucky enough to go to japan and then on to portugal for the euro 2004 spent the whole time in this sort of team hotel got on the bus with a team flew on the private jet with a team so like for a football it was just like living in a bit of a dream world but I'd spent four years there and it wasn't quite, it just didn't feel quite right. And I'd always, always sort of harked back to my time in hospitality. It was kind of my first true love. Uh, and so I walked in the office of, uh, it was David Davis at the time, who's, uh, who, was, uh, who was in charge of the FA. And I said, look, I'm going to go open a cafe in Soho. I've, there was a little Italian deli around the corner that I always used to have my lunch in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was called Cafe Delizia. It's now the sort of uh, where we have the original breakfast club. And I'd spoken to my, essentially was my best friend, my longest friend, Ali, who uh, is now my sister-in-law. We've known each other since we were 12. I said, look, we always said that if we get to a certain age and the career wasn't going quite where he wanted to go, yeah. we'd, do, we'd do the bar. Actually, we said we'd do a bar. But mm-hmm. at 33 years old, uh, I think I'd got past the stage of wanting to clean up people's sick at <laughs> two o'clock in the morning and having all that aggro. So we thought, like, well, let's do a cafe. And so that's kind of where we got in terms of getting to the stage where we got the breakfast club. So mm-hmm. it it is a really weird way to get there, but uh, you know it is kind of always what we wanted to do mm-hmm. as, as as a pair. Um, and uh, you know we've counted ourselves very lucky that we got there in the end. So what about um, you know what did you find when you got there? So you went into this cafe that was the old one. You know, what did you have to do? Was it full refurbs, design, brand idea? You know, what, yeah, so what happened? We were just about to sign on the dotted line with the property when I resigned from the FA. I mean, I, should, I shouldn't really say this, but we, did, like, the, we didn't even have the name for the cafe or the themes of the cafe or the kind of food mm-hmm. that we were going to do. So, you know, the, it, the, the thing I would always say is never do it like we did it. We had about sort of two months to come up with what we wanted to do. And... Uh, I I I just come back from the states. Actually, I spent a couple of weeks there on holiday, and somebody had shown me this like, wonderful thing that called chipotle, and uh, nobody ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. They were making burritos, and it was like this amazing sort of style of service. And as I to, to Ali, I was like, let's let's do a burrito place um, in the same style as this place I'd seen in in the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, call it Say Ferris, which is a, a, a sort of a, an eighties reference. Mm-hmm. So we worked on that for a bit, and and for some reason it just it didn't come off. Um, and then was that a blessing? Looking well, back? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the burrito places have done fairly well over yeah, the years, yeah. and we'd have been first to the market. But I'm sure we wouldn't have done it very well, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> then it was kind of it, it. It was the breakfast club, and it bizarrely, as the name came first, and that kind of then sort of dictated our thinking. Uh, it was Ali and I. Whilst I did did have sort of hospitality experience, I'd never cooked before really in any in, in any kind of professional sense. Um, and Ali had never made coffees before. You know, we, kept, we we could sort of working through what we could do. And the breakfast element of it is actually at the time was really really simple. It's a as a as a dish that you can put in front of somebody and do it well. Mm. 
it's one of the kind of, it's supposedly one of the, the simplest things you can do and a lot of the time it's just about putting together the right component ingredients rather than coming up with too many recipes yeah. or at least that was the case back in 2005 and we'd and Ali and I had always loved the whole American brunch element of it um so we went around places that we loved uh in and around sort of Islington and London we started cherry picking things that we really liked for example you know there was a great coffee shop on uh, on Upper Street in Islington at the time so it's called Tinderbox um and this was the time it's probably before flat whites I and mean, that didn't exist yeah. at the time so coffee kind of hadn't moved on that much um it there was a lot of the high street chains uh, and, and we started to work on an idea where we'd try, try and bring together a greasy spoon and, mm. uh, and an American diner and actually put really decent coffee in a place, uh, decent smoothies in a place. Because at the time, everybody, you know, everybody that was doing smoothies was just doing smoothies. So just be a smoothie operator or yeah. be a coffee operator, whereas nobody was kind of doing all three at the same time, the food, mm. the, the coffee and the smoothies. Uh, and so we went around cherry picking. We'd... Uh, the, the, for example, the sausages, we we love this place called S&M, which was on Essex Road, which sausage and mash, mm-hmm. which is unfortunately isn't around anymore, but they used to have queues outside every Saturday morning. Yep. And they were doing just like really simple British food, uh, British breakfast. And we was like, this is just like amazing. So, so we'd ask them where they got the sausages from, which was Smithfields. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there'd be like, there's a company called Simply Sausages. I'm not sure they're around anymore. And everything, so we went around loads of places. So we went to Leon, I think it was just as the first Leon had opened, and we saw their like, beautiful brown boxes, these bio packs. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were like, wow, how, how do you get hold of those? And uh, the, the, this is one of the kind of the, my, one of my favorite stories is that I was like looking at the bottom of the box, and it said the sort of the address for bio pack, and it was in the US. And I spent weeks trying to get in touch with them, and how do you get hold of this? And then they put me onto like the local supplier, which was in Israel, which is bizarre. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, they said, "Well, actually, there's a there's a more local supplier than than us in terms of European market." And they said it's actually on uh, it's on White Lion Street in Angel. And uh, I'm not sure if you can guess Mark where I used to live <laughs> back in the day. It was on White Lion Street in Angel. So I'd gone around the world trying to find these brown boxes, <laughs> uh, and they were on the same street as <laughs> yeah. uh, as I lived, basically. So that's how we do it. We started to put together kind of all the bits that we loved. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in the kitchen, uh, and then Ali upstairs. Uh, so we're both from both from Yorkshire. We've got lots of local pubs where we live. We sort of live in a little small village in Yorkshire. And there's a real kind of sort of homely feel when you walk into those mm-hmm. places. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. The whole cheers thing where everybody knows your name. And we wanted like Soho such a transient place. Yeah. People sort of pass through. They don't necessarily come from Soho. We want to create a place where actually people felt at home. So we always ask people's names when we took orders, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think if I'm being honest, we, we went, because of our experience, we went for the experience rather than necessarily the food element of it. Yeah. Um, the food we kept simple with really good ingredients, but you know, we wanted the people to walk in and feel like they're in a, feel like they were at home and that they were really, like really very welcome. And mm-hmm. um, that's kind of, I think that's why it went well for us. We had, it was a great name by accident. So um, what happened there with the name and, and was there any issues with it? Uh, there wasn't no, we, we, I mean, we didn't do any sort of trademark checks or anything like that before we went with it. Uh, we just let's go for the breakfast. So let's call it. Let's call it that. We worked with a, an agency I'd worked in terms of the logo, mm-hmm. uh, an agency I'd worked with before, 
um, and then sort of went full steam ahead. And so a couple of years later, I thought this this name's really valuable. So I went out and we went and tried to trademark it. Uh, had a couple of problems, but in the end, we managed to do it. Great. So the actual Breakfast Club is is belonged to us as a, as a sort of cafe trademark across Europe and the UK. So uh, we're really lucky to have that because it's used across the board, whether it's schools, yep. the film, that kind of stuff. So yep. uh, it it's really helped us. It, it could be seen as a hindrance in terms of our evening trade, but actually we've not found that so much. Yeah. Uh, it's been easy. It's, it's been a fairly easy sort of way of, of selling both the daytime and the nighttime, I think. But it's really, it, it was a really, like I say, I think it, it was more luck. We stumbled upon the name mm. and it's really worked in our favour. So there's there was a lot of luck along the way. We, like, it, I think if we'd have tried to do what we did then now, we'd have failed to be honest um i think everything that people do now is, is food led mm -hmm. that's the starting point get the great get the food great and then work on the experience mm. in the background whereas we've kind of done that in reverse a little yeah. bit we went for the experience uh, making people want to come back and then the food sort of caught up over the years mm. i mean you've you've cracked something really hard to crack which is is that an egg related uh, joke hey <laughs> <laughs> excellent yeah um so uh, yeah i think from that perspective it's, it's one of the biggest problems that i see clients having so i go into you know whoever it is you know work with a few this year i've got great breakfast and lunch i want dinner i've got great early evening i want slightly later and there's very few people that have pulled it off, you know? So I think you're one. I think Grind have done an amazing job yep. uh, on that. I mean, is there any tips or tricks or advice or what you can do? Because you're even one step further back because you've got the name yep. as well, you know? It, I mean, in all honesty, it's not, it's, not, it's not being the easiest thing that we... It, it probably occupies... Trying to keep that daytime and nighttime relevant, it's probably occupies a disproportionate amount of time than it should do mm -hmm. um and one of the things that kind of we're looking for to do next year is actually to kind of like right maybe some of our locations we need to concentrate on just the daytime offer right uh and some of our locations we stick with the nighttime offer so that i think the beauty of, of of our business is that actually we can be as flexible as we want to be we don't have this set in stone this is how we're going to do it every time kind of a view on how we do our cafe so uh, whilst in some locations it absolutely works a treat and especially the places that have got the the the, the secret bars uh, alongside them uh, there are some places where it actually just makes sense to kind of just go for the daytime element of it so i i think the kind of landscape uh that kind of the the food landscape has changed beyond all recognition since 2005 you used to be able to do the all day thing mm. kind of the bills and all that kind of stuff that used to be a fairly simple thing to do but now if you put us alongside you know if you put if you line us up against all these evening offers whether it's a burger offer it's a korean offer it's a noodle offer it's a pizza offer all of a sudden you, people are doing just single things yeah. uh, um, and single single food products or single concepts and it's quite hard to do an all day thing and i think i think kind of those operators that are doing all day uh offers kind of might need to adapt a little bit i, I do agree i think grinder doing an absolute mm. spectacular job on it uh and that they're, they're a much cool i hate to say it, but they're a much cooler brand than us and they've got the cocktail side to it i think we're more tongue-in-cheek and uh i think what we've always been good at is knowing our strengths and our kind of weaknesses and where we kind of need to push on and where we need to sort of pull back on 
Um, so I, I think what we're going to try and do sort of over the coming years is trying to make sure that we make the right decisions in terms of the places that are going to do the all day offer mm -hmm. and, and the nighttime offer. And then also, you know, really stick to kind of some of the British CAF principles that we started out with because uh, Soho wasn't a, wasn't a nighttime offer in terms of when we started out. Um, and, uh, you know, it doesn't really need to be, it, yeah. it does, it does incredible business over between sort of seven and five in the afternoon. Uh, and there's no point in trying to stretch it out any longer than it yeah. has to. And, and what about, um, you know, number two then? So when did you see that, right, this is going to be a thing, you know, Soho's doing well enough, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't a financial thing that made us think that, uh, this is really working for us because uh, we 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 had the queues pretty much from day dot, but we just didn't know how to convert that into into a bottom line. So mm -hmm. we knew that we were popular and what we were doing were was was something that people liked. But uh, you know, if in, in all honesty, if if again, if we'd have done that now, we probably wouldn't have gone and opened the second one until we got the first one right in terms of in terms of kind of converting the the money that was coming in through the business. But there was a place that came up on Camden Passage, which is in Angel in Islington, and that's where we uh, both lived at the time. And actually, if we'd have had our dream location for a breakfast club, mm -hmm. that would have been it. Yeah. Uh, and it was a little Italian restaurant, um, and it's still and the whole building's still owned by that Italian family. And I mean, remember going in there and, and doing a sort of presentation about what we were going to do with this. Uh, yeah, it, it, Camden Passage is a really difficult place to do business because everybody's so protective. It's beautiful old buildings. Yeah. It's got lots of antique shops. And at the time, there wasn't very many uh, uh, food and drink operators on there. Um, but we, we'd always loved it. And we'd, we'd always said that if a location ever came up on there, we'd give it a go. So yeah. we probably did the second one too soon. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it, it just seemed seemed to work for us it was the right location yeah uh, angels the right kind of place that passage really suited our brand um so it it came too soon but that's kind of when we started to think all right this is starting to feel like a chain and we, we weren't ready to do it It was never it was never the plan it was never the plan because i kind of uh for me what i love is the daily interaction and yeah. i love opening the doors in the morning i love closing the doors at night working by in a bar, chatting to customers. I, that's kind of why I started to do this. And that's yeah. what I've always loved doing. Uh, and eventually that's kind of what I want to want to go back to. But in a bizarre contradiction, I kind of worked my way, aw uh, myself away from that. Yeah. Uh, I worked myself away from what I kind of love and uh, what I love doing. So that was kind of the start of where we started to put together the idea that this could actually work as a, as I, I'm not going to use the word chain. No, but a group. A group, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. And then what were the things that you learnt then along the way, you know, when you opened one, when you opened the second, when you opened the third, you know, what were the sort of main areas for development for you or the challenges you had? Um, well, we'd, we had to get a little bit of expertise in, in terms of food. Mm. Um, so things like we we came across this guy, Sam, a Canadian guy who... Uh, he was a bit of a drifter in terms of uh, in terms of he just like he never seemed to stop anywhere for longer than about six months, and he was a chef, yeah. like massive dreadlocks. Right. Uh, he just this like wonderful ball of energy, but uh, he came. To, I mean, we we hired him, and uh, he'd, he'd done a lot of like, American cooking before, and he was the guy that kind of introduced the whole pancakes mm -hmm. benedicts all the kind of classic american american brunch items onto the, the menu and he was amazing for this like six months that he stayed with us 
but then one day as predicted he kind of just disappeared and right. I would never like we never saw him again but he, I always credit him as the kind of godfather of of the breakfast club menu and I still I still have his email I still send him an email every time we open up a, a cafe saying yeah. thank you very much for what you did oh, we wouldn't good. be here without you uh, and and he, he respond? yeah he does respond yeah. he does respond yeah um so it it, it, you know, that's the, getting the food right and getting the food to catch up with the experience was kind of one of the main things that we had to to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to learn actually to make it a, a business and try and convert some of the money that was coming in. Because yeah. um, from a from a cost perspective, we weren't doing a good job. Uh, you, we 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 would go with menu items or menu dishes and then price them as we felt was right. Um, the funniest story I kind of had from my early days in Soho was somebody came in and asked for a like a, a plate of toast and uh, and he went how how much is that I was like mm, I, I'm not entirely sure to be honest how much would you want to pay for it uh, <laughs> and he said about about ninety p so he went on the menu as ninety p and uh, so they, we we didn't do anything like costing ingredients and costing yeah. like and and to a certain extent the level of the sales allowed us. To get away with that, if that yeah. if that if that makes sense, was ninety p your own rate? Oh, or? absolutely wrong. It's about two pound fifty. Now, <laughs> so, yeah. Jeez. Um, so the, yeah, we we were pricing stuff in terms of how we what we felt was right or what we felt was fair, rather than actually kind of working through uh, a list of dish it, uh, dish ingredients and trying to cost it that way. So there's the the, the commercial side of it. Uh, is kind of what we sort of started to focus on a little bit more. Not to any great extent. That didn't really come until about sort of five years into it. Mm-hmm. And then just a, a sort of understanding, uh, be more formal in our relationship with our staff. So kind of just, um, we'd, we, we, because you're working with your team on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. uh, you're actually in the cafes with them. Um, you kind of just, uh, you build these relationships and, you know, they, they get behind you on the back of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you start to sort of move away from the day-to-day of the cafe, you kind of have to create situations where that loyalty is kind of, um, where you still get that loyalty but from people that you don't necessarily work with day in, day out. Yeah. So we had to kind of try and formalize that a little bit more and that kind of make that place, a, a, you know, make the cafe or the cafes a really attractive place to work and get a reputation in terms of getting the best staff, which is where you mentioned Haley at the start. With Haley was one of the first people that we took on mm-hmm. for our cafe in Angel, and she stuck with us for ten, eleven years. So yeah. um, you know that's kind of shows the value of getting the right people at the right time. And that that was kind of it. So we, we, it I, I wouldn't say when we opened up Angel. I wouldn't say when we opened up Hoxton, which was the third one in two thousand and nine. Four years later, that we kind of still. I'd nailed it in terms yeah. of concept. We were changing all the time. Uh, we got to 2011 with Spitalfields, and that's kind of when we got the cafe side sorted. Uh, and once we got that sorted, we suddenly thought, well, let's try and do the cocktail bar. i got to keep going, harping back to my Tom Cruise cocktail on the beach. <laughs> and I, I, I'd always really wanted to do a cocktail bar. Um, and uh, we had a guy called Ian, who'd, uh, who was uh, a, a, just a superb bartender, but was working in our cafe in in Angel, and I, I said to him, I said, look, we're gonna, we've got this space. Uh, we're going to put a fridge in front as a door. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you come up with kind of a, a bar for us with a range of cocktails, that kind of stuff? Um, and he did. And he came up with an amazing, uh, yeah, the, the, the kind of the name the, uh, and the design of it was from ourselves, but the actual operation of it came from Ian, 
who was on like a £6.50 an hour bartender for us in, in Angel at the time. And he created this w- wonderful, amazing bar called the Mayor of Skater Cat Town, which yep. went on to win a couple of awards, best bar in London a couple of years in a row, I think it was at the time. So it, it we were learning as we went along, but everything we seemed to do seemed to work. Yep. And again, I, I stress that it's just, as much of this was... It felt like it was through luck or through just t- the right timing that it kind of seemed to happen for us. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's... Well, it's interesting you talk about the fridge, right? I mean, that is so much referenced, like, all the time by clients, where it's, how can we do that? How can we do what they did? I mean, where did that idea come from? Where did the idea to call it something so outlandish? Yeah. You know, what, what happened there? So, it's, so the whole speakeasy bar, they're, they're two a penny at the moment, I mm. think. Uh, it's kind of been and done. Uh, and we knew that was going to happen, which is why there was an element, a tongue-in-cheek element of it. Um, so kind of love spending time in New York. Mm-hmm. There's Please Don't Tell, the, 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 the bar behind the telephone box in, in a hot dog stand at the time. And that's kind of the only one that we'd ever come across. And yeah. uh, we had, we'd had... Smeg fridge is all across our cafes right from the start. Was it always like sort of yellow, y- y- yellow, red? We'd, yeah, uh, we'd always colors. we'd always had a Smeg fridge yeah. um, in a, in our in our cafes or a bar. So I got in touch with I got in touch with Smeg. I said, "Look, this is a bit of a weird uh, idea. How do you fancy doing this?" Uh, and I wasn't expecting a response. Um, they responded within about two hours of me sending the email. I think it was their marketing director said. 100 percent we're going to get this we're going to get this done we're going to provide the, the whole doorway for you they built this special smeg um for us and then delivered it and it's just this huge big fake fridge which was amazing and uh it was so we were like delighted with it mm. and then we started to tell you know we try t- t- to come up with a name uh and one of the things we've always tried to do is have it has relevance in mine and ali's past mm. or uh, mine and ali's kind of lives uh, and it's the Cheers reference. So the Mariscada Cat Town is all the bars have got an, are named after a an episode of uh, uh, of Cheers. Is that uh, right? It is. I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. So there's there's references in there. Yeah. And it was an episode, and uh, it, it, so it, it, it essentially we I said to Alan, he says, "Well, how about this for a name?" And then for for weeks when we were trying to sort of sell the bar into people, we just couldn't we couldn't say the name out mm. loud. So like now nah, people aren't going to get it or people are just going to think it's too weird but uh we stuck with it and it, it was the same as it was the same as when we did the cafes we didn't want to take ourselves too seriously yeah. and we didn't want it to be the coolest cocktail bar in the world we just wanted to be you know, a nice experience uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek yeah a little bit fun uh so we stuck with it the mayor's get town it stuck and we uh, the whole i'm here to see the mayor wasn't us, I'm not sure if you know, but people will arrive and uh, in the cafe and go, I'm here to see the mayor, and then they will get led down. And that, that just came about. That wasn't us putting Does it in. Does that still happen now? That still happens, yeah. yeah. Can you not get in unless you say that? Or? Uh, you can get in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're not going to be that kind of business. Um, and then there's a similar thing for our bar in London Bridge, that call me Mr Lucky, which is, again, another Cheers reference, but you get there and people have started saying, I'm here to get lucky, uh, and it's, so all this kind of stuff is really organic how it happens and that's yeah, kind yeah. of always the best way for it to happen yeah uh, and like I say the, the the bar took off Ian did an amazing job in terms of the cocktails the cocktails were really great we were in, we we insisted on 
on it being a great bar rather than a gimmicky bar because the gimmick's going to last yeah. probably about a year mm. maximum. And it's, you know, nine years down the line, it's still a place that kind of you have to wait half an hour to get into on, yeah. a, on a Friday, Saturday night. So that's worked for us. That worked really well for us and, and has, has, like, call me Mr. Lucky. Uh, we've had a few, we've had a couple of places where it hasn't necessarily worked and that's more by location rather mm. than necessarily it's not a good bar. Mm-hmm. Um, my bar in Battersea struggles a little bit because it's just a, it's it, 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 if you put that bar it's a beautiful bar if you put that bar in Soho it would work a treat but it's a little bit too kitsch yeah. for kind of the Battersea crowd uh, mm-hmm. called, uh, it's King of Ladies man it's very sort of kitsch 70s kind of look to it we had kitsch uh, cocktails in there and, and like I say if you put that in Soho it would work an absolute treat so one of the things going forward if we do do bars it has mm-hmm. to kind of fit in and it has to be in the right environment, and we've we've got that wrong a couple of times. Yeah. Um, and was there a favourite cocktail? You know, what's a bestseller or anything like that? Uh, Something well, you're famous for? I wouldn't say we we change the cocktails every sort of six months, right. so there isn't anything that's really st- stuck. To uh-huh. be honest, over the years, um, so no, not no, yeah, nothing major. Ian's long gone. People have come and like put their own stamp on it, and that's kind of I think that's one of the reasons why the bar has stayed relevant and it's every time we put a a bartender there they get really excited they Mm. create their own cocktails and it it, it is they're given like that kind of ownership of the place because it's just um it's a it's a wonderful environment it's a lovely gorgeous looking bar um but you know it's it's it can only be as good as the bartenders that are behind there and and the cocktails that they create Mm -hmm. and if you just sort of if we'd have kept the same cocktail menu for eight nine years it probably wouldn't have worked but yeah. the fact that there we get new people coming through all the time and creating their own menus mm-hmm. kind of really works for us and what about then the diversification of the menu so realizing you might need to you know add things on for extending the day parts and all that kind of stuff what sort of happened there um i mean it's been a struggle mm. uh it makes the menu massive for a right. start so uh, there, and and the more extensive your menu gets, the kind of more you spread yourself thinly over a set of products. So, I, I don't always think that's a good idea, and that's kind of what I mentioned earlier. So it's probably it might be it, it is going to be a good idea for us to focus more on what we're exceptional at, which yeah. is kind of the breakfast and the brunch side of things. Um, I, I think as long as we stick with some of the classics and the kind of comfort food element of it, uh, that's kind of our safe space in terms mm-hmm. of how well we do with things. So whether it's a burger, it's a mac and cheese, it's a burrito, that kind of stuff. I think it's when we go off that comfort food yeah. uh, and we try and do stuff that's kind of not necessarily us. So that's when we sort of start to struggle a bit. Um, but that, as we've had exec chefs come through the business, we've had people from all sorts of backgrounds come through in terms of the exec chef side of things. Um, you know, they've all brought their own stamped to the to the mm-hmm. menu and luckily it's not me anymore that's doing the menu and it was it was me till 2012 in terms of uh developing that menu yeah uh, and after that we started started to bring in some really senior sort of chef experience into the business and so they've all had their you know made their mark on it mm-hmm. and we currently have uh, the old exec chef from polpo okay who's a wonderful name james brown so he's he's kind of been able to make us a little bit more relevant in yeah. terms of the evenings in terms of the kind of the styles of the dishes and things like the whole kind of vegan vegetarian element of uh, of what we do um so you know each like i say each person brings these 
their own stamp on it. We're, we're not the kind of business that's just stuck in, this is who we are, and this is, we're not going to change anything. Yeah. We're, we're, we're quite flexible, quite fluid in that respect. That's and I'd really always dangerous hope, as well, isn't yeah. it? I'd always, I'd, I'd always hope we'd, we'd stay agile in that respect because yeah. it, you know, it's important for us to be able to develop who we are. And what about the vegan and veggie movement? Uh, you know, have you had to focus a lot of attention on that or what you did naturally fitted that or what was um, going on there? There was a process whereby we started to count. It was just as simple as we like, let's count the amount of vegetarian dishes that we have on our menu. And mm. I think without even any focus on it, I think we were at 40%. Wow. Uh, and, and everybody sees you as this place that does sausage, bacon, eggs. Um, so without even trying, we were at 40% vegetarian. The vegan element of it does change thing, mm-hmm. things. Um, time has moved on. We There was a time when you could stick a loomy on any dish and that would be, that's fine for the vegetarians. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you do have to think through things a lot more. Uh, and like I said, James is doing a really good job in that respect. But, I, I, there's a there's a perception thing with us uh, which i think you know sometimes we need to try and change a little bit it, it, we are not just that place that does sausage bacon and uh, and eggs um mm. and you know there is we're up to about 50 percent of the menu is either vegan or vegetarian mm. at the moment um and whilst it'll still be you know this the, the big sellers are still kind of the things that are the traditional full english breakfast or the pancakes and cream and berries and that kind of stuff you know you do need to give your menu a little bit more of a rounded feel to make sure that you can get those big groups of people in mm-hmm. where there's two or three people that kind of want something different are uh, are catered for mm. and then what about you know the dishes in general is there favorites on the menu what's the core dishes you know what, what what's the best sellers yep. you know what's going on there we, we've become a bit of a pancake place uh-huh. by accident um we uh again that was just wasn't part of the original plan and we'd we'd uh so we'd we're on darbley street we were near next to one of the original crepe affairs the yeah the crepe operator uh and uh, on sort of a on pancake tuesday we'd just see this massive queue of people uh str- like going down wardour street of people waiting for these crepes and uh that's a that's uh that's a that's something we're missing out on and so we just yeah. like they've started to like right well it does fit in with the kind of the whole american definitely uh diner and the, the whole pancakes and we started to develop that uh and so we started to just put these pancakes on the menu and and you know i haven't got a sweet tooth so i'm, I'm purely a savory kind of person so it's not something i would normally go for mm-hmm. um but that's the kind of thing that's just taken off for us over the years yeah um, and it's a big fluffy american style pancakes and um you know it, it's something we've became we've become known for our pancake tuesdays have got a little bit ridiculous it's a big you know it's a big huge event for us yeah. we have uh we have bands playing we have uh we have massive queues of a, you know they're about an hour two hours long God. at nine o'clock on a on a tuesday evening yeah uh and it's just the biggest day day of the year for us and we always come up with this like a, a range of specials for that day yeah um and we we had we had a brilliant one last year and it was based on um classic fast food uh dishes and so we had a big stack big mac which is like a burger in a, oh right <laughs> inside two pancakes 
okay, hard to say it out loud, but a Ringer Stinger Tower, which was like a very spicy chicken and uh, hash brown oh, in uh, in pancakes. So it, it, we just uh, we 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 have a lot of fun with it. Um, but yeah. you know, the pancakes are the are the kind of main dish for us. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like I say, is not something that kind of sits that comfortably with me because it's not it's not the dish I would normally pick if yeah. I went into one of our cafes. From Supersonic Inc. This is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the good folk at BDO. BDO have been long-term supporters of the hospitality sector and they are really passionate about supporting innovative entrepreneurs on their journeys and they also want to give you the right advice and support to grow your business. Just in case you don't know, BDO provides tailored advice to the sector across corporate finance, due diligence, tax and all accounting matters. BDO work tirelessly to give their clients the advice that they need when they need it to succeed. For more information on BDO and how they can take your business to the top, go to bdo.co.uk. Hashtag ad. Just talking about the, you know, borrowing from maybe some other brands, I guess there's a couple of things that you've borrowed extremely well, but also you're much imitated also. So how does that work, you know, in, in both ways? I'm thinking the bacon direct mugs and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but oh, also... Oh, you've that, have you? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love those. Um, and and the, my mum loves her sausage mugs. It, it, it's so cool, right? i tell you why I, I think it's cool. Is um, a year today, actually, I um, interviewed Fatboy Slim in the podcast, right? And uh, he's got a little cafe in Hove yep. down at the, the lagoon. And he's got loads of local taxi mugs like right, there, yeah. which is quite fun. Yeah. And uh, it, it looks so much like your uh, my mum loves it. Not, you know, nothing is going on there. It was just, it really always reminds me of your mug when I'm ever in there, well, like, and that, the little that, one, you know. That was exactly the point of those mugs. We do a big merchandising sort of line, and, and one of the things was like the mugs that you do find, but you, you almost like get for free in, in, from either a taxi firm yeah. or from when you're doing a promotion, or that kind of stuff. Or something, yeah. yeah. So that was part of the. I lost track of what the actual question was. Oh, yeah, so, so I guess there's a bit of a two-way thing. In oh, the imitation You're, you're uh, inspired, let's yeah. say, by others, and, you know, so whether it's some dishes and merch, and, but at the other side, I can see your influence across people's yeah. offering and breakfast menu. So does that bother you? Do, how do you tackle it? What's going on there? If, well, I mean, for a start, what I would, would say is we're not doing anything completely original from a food perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, always leaves you open to imitation in terms of your menu. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's nothing on our menu that isn't kind of, you can't see across hundreds of other menus. Yeah. Um, so uh, you, you, what you, I think what you always try and create is, is, is what is it that that's the point of difference? What's the reason why? You know, people will always ask why people would want to queue an hour and a half for bacon and eggs on a Saturday morning. And, you know, I don't necessarily have the answer, and it's good that I don't have the answer because mm. if you can't, if you can't put your finger on it, then you can't imitate it. I, that's kind of my belief in that. I, I kind of know a lot of the ingredients that get us there, and a lot of the things that we have to keep doing to make sure that happens. But um, I, th- I think the fact that you can't really quite understand why people would wait that long mm-hmm. for what is, you know, it, it is good simple food. It's not a Michelin star. You, sh- you shouldn't wait an hour and a half for breakfast wherever you're in the world you go, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, it can almost never be that good. Um, 
So there's that element of it. But we have we have the people have tried to kind of copy the menu element of it, and it, it's not worked because it's it's not the menu that it's not the menu that sells the business. I don't think so. I I live I've, I've got a funny story. I live in Folkestone, uh, which is sort of an hour Atkins crossing a train um and there's a there was a there was a local sort of restaurant there called it was i don't even know i should mention but it was googies it's called googies uh and I, I went there and i just i looked at the menu i was like this is just uh this is way too similar it's almost like it's weirdly similar in terms yeah. of like the style and how it's designed um so i left it there and i spoke to a friend of mine who was used to work for camden as a, in the brewery and he used to deliver the uh, the the beer to to this place in in Folkestone and he he said oh my mate owns the breakfast club he says he might have seen uh, yeah, yeah something of you know, his menu and yours he says, and the guy was like oh yeah maybe um, but <laughs> and then sort of but two years later I went he he, he put the place up for sale and uh, I went in just off uh, randomly because I was potentially thinking about maybe well could we do a, a breakfast club in Folkestone. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, I'm just potentially interested in the fact that you've got, you know, this is up for sale and, you know, what you're looking to do. And he sort of looked at me as if, like, I'm not sure he kind of, like, being serious because he must have had a lot of people coming through. Yeah. Uh, and he says, well, what do you do? I said, well, I've got I've got a place in London. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Uh, it's called The Breakfast Club. And he's kind of, like, his face dropped. Uh, and fair play to him, he went, Oh, I copied your menu, didn't I? I was like, well, maybe yeah. you did. Yeah, maybe you did. Uh, 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 you know, I, look, like I said, I, I, I think what we don't, what we do in terms of our menu it isn't original. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's very like it, it's things that you find across whether it's menus in 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 uh, greasy spoons or American diners. It's kind of it's already been done before. Mm. Um, it's, it's it's kind of the experience I think that we do that's original, like. We, we we do things the way we do things, yeah. uh, and I think it's quite hard to kind of copy that. Um, yeah. No, it's very unconventional, and I think as a marketer, I'm glad to see that because I don't think many trained marketers or brand people or whatever in the world would ever do what you do, and there's very few brands like you that you know are just authentically being themselves, and it works. Yeah, you know, because if you if you came in with my mum loves a sausage, or you come in with the mayor of Scaledy Cat Town and you had a professional market in our brand, they'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, people get it. Well, oh, is that offensive? Well, you know, and it just dulls everything down, whereas yeah. I think you've just been absolutely yourselves, which is great to see. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the, the mum loves a sausage thing was kind of, just try and do things that make people smile. And uh, there was some guy on Twitter this this time round uh, on Mother's Day, and he was like hashtag Me Too on it about because he took his mum in, oh, right. uh, and he said, "Do you, you realise what an incredibly awkward experience it was for me and my mum in one of your cafes?" And he just started ranting and raving on Twitter, and I was kind of like, "Well, to be honest, I quite liked that that had happened." It's yeah. Like, yeah, you you want to get you want to get a reaction from people, and I think for the ninety nine people that love that and love the cheekiness of it. Uh, I'll I'll take it on the chin when somebody yeah. doesn't like it. Uh. Well, I remember years ago uh, I worked at Pret and and we had some bread at the counter, you know, a little bit of baguette, and it was in a crinkly old bag. So it said on it crinkly old bag, and I remember we got a couple of complaints, and then yeah, we had to sit down and sort of discuss it and go, oh, should we 
take this out or you know yeah. is, is it offensive or if you know but I think sometimes yeah hopefully there's a little bit of humour in what you're doing and it's on the right side of you know dodginess yeah, yeah and I think there'll, there'll be times when you get it wrong mm-hmm. um, and I would always hope that we're the kind of business that are willing to get things wrong um, at least to give it a try if you know yeah, what I mean yeah. we did a thing with um, November and this isn't something that went wrong but it's again another example there's a lot of uh, a lot of kind of penis references in our in our humour uh, <laughs> right. um, I feel this is going to turn into a deeper therapy oh, yeah, session I've, I've, I've got about half an hour for you Mark on, on, uh, on penis references in my business it feels like the end of Superbad um, when he's doing all this scribbling yeah. there's a, there was, we did an eggs menedict uh, which is essentially it was it's from November in uh, I think back in 2015 and um, it was essentially an eggs benedict with a big sausage down the middle it was very phallic uh, it was a beautiful, you know, it was a beautiful piece of food to put in front of people, uh, and we had the big posters all over the place. And I, I think it was somebody told me that Jamie Oliver's sort of food team came in one day and and said, "I wish we could do something like this," and right. that kind of made me so very proud. Yeah. Um, and th- I'll take you back about thirty years. So when Ali and I were at school, she would uh, we'd always have these do exercise. We were sat in Spanish class, and she'd always draw, draw this kind of. Just before I handed my exercise book in the teacher, I'd always draw, draw a penis on my <laughs> on my work. And I, before, without me even knowing that she'd done it, and then I'd hand it in, and I'd, obviously teacher would go mad, and I'd get into trouble on it. <laughs> so in kind of tribute to this, in about 2009, we, we drew a tiny little penis on the corner of the menu. <laughs> uh, you had to look for it, but it was there. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that, that went on for a year. And again, a few people like, do you realise this is disgraceful? Why you know you're supposed to be a professional business, that kind of stuff. So it, we, we've always had that sort of tongue-in-cheek element. And it keeps us a little bit different. Uh, and you know the, the concern for me is as we grow, you know, we've got to just allow ourselves to to make those mistakes, mm. just so we can you know carry on with the personality of the business. Yeah. Oh, it'd be a shame. It'd be a shame. It would be you, a real shame. You yeah. know, if you just went completely beige and too safe I think yeah um so a couple of other things I was thinking about was community work I know you do like a lot of you know stuff in your local communities and through your teams and all that sort of stuff yep. so yeah what what's going on there so as, as as we got kind of more and more successful um we've always we've always aspired to be a a, a neighborhood cafe uh and it, 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 I think it comes from my person I always want I just want to be liked it's a quite a sad thing but you yeah. know I tell me yeah, <laughs> um, there is a thing. There was a a time when just a lot of businesses were going through that place where they when they'd open up a cafe, there'd be like this whole gentrification element to it, and people would be protesting and saying they don't want that brand in in wherever. And it, you know, I I kind of like well, I want people to love us being there. I want people to love me. I want people to love the brand. Um, and you know, it came at a time when we felt actually we can you know we're in a position where we're lucky enough to be doing well enough to kind of just give back, give back to the kind of the communities that we work with. And it it started out initially completely differently to what we did now, which is the usual thing that everybody does, which is like uh, we make a bit of cash. We Every month we're going to give something to, I think it was Raise a Sunshine at the time, which is a wonderful charity. Um, so we'd give this money to, to Raise a Sunshine and it kind of, there's no sort of sense of, come back from that in terms of yeah, a team sort of paying your way a little bit yeah, yeah a little bit and it was kind of like so we were doing that for a couple of years i mean we gave them a 
you know a, a really decent amount of money over the over those two years but as as a business we weren't getting any kind of uh, any kind of sense of fulfillment from it and then again this is an example of of where we've like somebody from within the business has, has done an amazing job and it it, it was a, a girl called Eva who used to work for a house for us in Hoxton and she you know she's kind of one of those people in life that uh, protests against everything and we stood outside the houses of parliament uh, she's a real kind of uh, she just wants to do good wants to save the planet uh just 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 a wonderful person but she came to us she said stop giving this money away i can do a better job for us uh if you just let me like uh let me have a go and then i initially said all right well you got one day a month uh go you know go and you know do what you need to do she goes well let's go out and speak to some charities around our cafes mm-hmm. um let's see what they want rather than just like dishing out this money so she started speaking to them and every cafe so it's just every cafe should speak to a charity around there she speak to the staff what you're interested in what kind of charities you're interested in what kind of community work you're interested in uh, and then she came up with this plan that we would have all these community projects or charities around the cafes that our staff would be able to interact with and that we would base the whole thing on on volunteering mm-hmm. um, so that one day a job uh, a month job turned into a one day a week job and within six months she got herself to be essentially doing that full time wow. and it, it's just evolved over time uh, she's done just this incredible job she's she won more awards than james cameron won for like titanic she's like she's <laughs> literally can't keep hold of the award. yeah a little bit yeah um but uh, it, it, there's a there's a thing for me is that, it, that that the business has to believe in that it can't just be a branding exercise because yeah. people see straight through it mm-hmm. uh whether it's your customers who see straight through it or your your teams because for me one of the big things is let's take it back hospitality is essentially uh the job of looking after people and taking care of people and if you can attract people that like working in a local community like volunteering in local charities they're going to be really good with your customers they're going to be really good at interacting with people from all sorts of backgrounds so mm-hmm. there's a, there's a cynical element of it a selfish element of it that it, it really does attract the right kind of people into mm-hmm. my business but there's also like a belief in, in in me and everybody that's in the business that it's also the right thing to do. And unless that actually exists, then I think people do see straight through it. It's not a marketing exercise. It's actually, you know, it's something that the business believes in. So we've been doing that for four or five years. So Eva's got, there's Eva who's on it full time. We've got somebody that's doing it part time. And then we've got basically sort of, 50, 60, 70 members of staff across the business that are volunteering on a regular basis in local charities and local community uh, projects. And it, it's just it's worth you know, some wonderful examples of stuff that we do. Uh, we've got well, December, it's always like one of my favourite times of the year in terms of we've got, we open up our cafes uh, to certain groups in Islington, it's to local pensioners. So on a Tuesday afternoon, Great. a load of local pensioners will come in from Islington, uh, we'll get them some cake, some tea, coffee. You hide uh, the menus. We hide the menus. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll put, we'll stick there. We'll, you know, we'll, the, the teams will sit down with them, yep. we'll spend a whole afternoon with them. And this, these people have been coming to us for like five or six years. It's the same group of about twenty, thirty OAPs from Islington. Yeah. Um, you know, a better benefit for me is like we've got a lot of international uh, staff in terms of from all all parts of different parts of yeah. the world. And you just you, if you're going to dump them in Angel in a cafe, they need to get a sense of what that community is about and where yeah. they 
where they're working and the best way to stick a you know the best thing to do is to isn't you know a guy from buenos aires who's you know never been to london before suddenly working in a cafe in angel what is it about angel that's you know that, that's great or what do you understand about the community that you're working in and stick them in front of somebody that's lived there for 70 80 years yeah. they get to really understand what you know what this is about and that's that neighborhood cafe element to it um so it, it works on multiple levels for us, uh, but we, we, we do it because it's, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. like I said, I think I mentioned that we've got this Christmas party come, comes up every year with the, with, the, with the guys, the pensioners in Ainge, and we do this sort of Christmas quiz and Christmas dinner. And George, RFD, always does a, a naked... We, we do this... <laughs> This is, this is how wonderful my FD is. Uh, we do uh, basically he he poses half naked with a, with an apron, and there's all these eight year old women having a sketch, do a life oh, a life sketch of it, uh, of him, and uh, you know the, the, it's just like absolutely wonderful experience. That for me is when kind of Christmas starts. Over the last five years, we've done it every time. And when George shuts a, off, when George shuts yeah. off, that's when Christmas starts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so on every level, the, the teams love it. Uh, the people that we interact with love it, and it's kind of. You know, p- people do pick up on it. You've obviously picked up on yeah. it in terms of the research. We don't go overboard in terms of uh, we don't plaster it everywhere. Um, it's something that we, you know, we, we there are there are obvious benefits as a business for doing yeah. this kind of thing well. But you know, we kind of don't want it to to look disingenuous. We, yeah, you know, we want it to be genuine. Well, I, I think that's the big thing. Is I don't think it's a thing. You know, genuinely, if I take my marketing hat off to to shout about, I think you need to let the communities talk about it, and it will yeah. gather its own momentum. Whereas, it does seem like it's crass if you go and go, we do all this great stuff, yeah. you know. Um, and it said something like, I think Gabby in the research, four thousand hours a year. Yep. So between invested. between ever the the guys at the the, the part time uh, Lucy and then. The rest of the, the teams, they they all get paid for it as well, which is one thing we were insistent on. You know, this it, this sector, this it isn't, if we're being honest, isn't the best paid sector in the world. No. So if if people are having to spend time uh, doing that, then they should be rewarded it. So they they get their hourly rate plus their tip rate, yeah. their, their trunk rate to to do that. So we mm-hmm. pay that out. Um, you know, we don't want them to be. It, it's definitely part of their job rather than oh, we're going to take credit for the fact that you're doing. Uh, ten so hours work, size yeah. uh, community work outside of your job, so it, it you know it's something that we're insistent on. If you do it on a salary, you get that as days in lieu. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it you know it, it's very much part of an, a cornerstone of what we do, uh, uh, and it, it does really kind of help in terms of getting people into our business that are yeah. very good at what they do. Um, yeah. And it, it is it's a virtuous circle that really works in our favour. And what about you know just extending on that point? attracting the best talent so you know there's some things saying you know there's a business full of artists and people stay with you and you know it can be a promiscuous sector and all these types of things (laughs) well yeah well we know that but but um, yeah Yeah. just in terms of people leaving for oh there's more money over there there's more money over there there's more you know turnover of staff can be a, a huge issue right so what else would you say you know in terms of how you're attracting these different types of people because it's a very different approach i think from, yeah. from many others we've so we've got a th- we've got a thing we call los Incos, which is i don't know where why i came up with that name but maybe the spanish background but it's anybody that's been with us for five years or more yeah uh gets to join this like club we take them out for dinner every year and they get an extra five days holiday and then you know medical benefits all that kind of so it doesn't matter what level you're at 
And we took, I think it was, uh, it's over 30 people this year uh, that have been with us for five years or more. And there's, like, there's lots of 10 years now. And that's nearly the whole sort of lifespan of this business. Yeah, yeah. Um, where'd you go? Where did you go? Uh, th- well, we went to Chambella this year oh, okay. on Lamb's Conduit, uh-huh. which is one of my favourite restaurants. But last year I took them down to Folkestone. We had dinner in a, in a lighthouse. Not in the cafe. Not in the cafe, no, no, not in Googies. Um, so th- th- that does it absolutely exist. So I think we've got a core group of people that um, that have stayed with us for a long, long time, and that's kind of your. Once you have that core group, then mm. they can influence it. It doesn't matter how often the other people come and go, because I think that's that kind of that's inevitable in this industry. That yeah. there'll be that revolving door of people on the outskirts of your, of your business. As long as you've got your core that kind of project those values and tell people how it's supposed to be then you're going to be safe um and i i when i when i used to work in soho i'd, I'd see these all these kids come in and they'd be working for media firms and they're basic runners and they, they would come in every day and collect like big bags of food and coffees and baking sandwiches and all mm. that kind of stuff and they would be working for nothing and i'd, I'd always think you know, and they'd be like, "I'm doing that. I'm in media. I'm in Soho. This is cool. This is kind of like this is what this is where it's at." And I would always like think, "Well, it's not, it's not because I th- I genuinely think the jobs that we do on this side of uh, the bar or the counter is actually uh, much more interesting and much more enjoyable." But it just didn't have that kind of glamour about it. Yeah. So I kind of set about, right, how do I create uh, an aspirational place to work?" Uh, and add a little bit of glamour to it and so over the years we've gone to site i've taken i think hundreds of people abroad uh whether it's to vegas to cancun to ibiza uh, to austria skiing we've been to miami to the florida keys um we've made a really big thing about kind of rewarding people in a in a really kind of interesting way uh, and these are people that you know, you, you you can pay them whatever salary you want to, but they really value that experience and it, they're, they're very experiential. Yeah. The generation that we work with, they kind of they want to take the photographs of themselves in in a hotel in Vegas or on you know on a beach in in Miami, that kind of stuff. So we've we're trying to sort of do our best to try and change the idea that hospitality isn't sexy, and I, and I think that's kind of happened anyway. You know, it used to in the nineties, like I said, it kind of wasn't. But now it's, it's, it's a little bit, it's like the new rock and roll, I think, mm-hmm. because, you know, you, there's lots of lawyers and bankers, they all want to open up their own restaurants. It's, yeah. like, it's like gone full full circle in that respect. So I didn't have to do very much in that respect because it, it is a really attractive industry to be in now. There's other things like 40 days holiday for our GMs. That's the kind of starting point. Our head office team all get 40 days holiday. Um, and you know, That's for, all right, isn't it? It is all right. I've got, I've got, I've got somebody... I work with he like he had forty days holiday plus he's got his ten years for long service and then he had a baby last year so I think last year he had started some like hardly in sixty five <laughs> days off um, so you know it's just about creating a the other other sectors and other industries are really good at rewarding their teams mm. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be about the amount of cash you spend on their salary we took Brighton our Brighton team to Barcelona for their Christmas party last year wow. And they remember that more than yeah. sticking an extra fifty pounds in their salary on a on yeah you know, on their Christmas wage. So it it's not as difficult as you think, and it's not as expensive as you think to try and create these sort of experiences and these moments in yeah. terms of it, it. It just in terms of making it an aspirational place to work. There's a couple of other things then I was going to talk about, which was just some tips for entrepreneurs. So with that, what's your tips for anyone that's you know? 
feeling entrepreneurial and wants to make the jump or you know what would you say to them um Mark, this, uh, so this is a funny i've had loads of people approach me uh over the years and i think my i would almost do a better job of telling people how not to do it <laughs> i i definitely 100% think there is a huge element of luck in in us succeeding um and we didn't have a plan uh, as i've kind of outlined earlier on uh we didn't think it through properly and the, it could have all gone so desperately wrong so um the reason it didn't and the main reason it didn't is uh is that we've just seemed to have been very good at hiring the right people and surrounding ourselves with the right people so ali and i will be the first people to say that you know we're not exceptional at anything we're not the best barista we're not the best chefs we, you know we they're they're uh there are better much better people at doing this than us out there and actually in, in our business and i think one of the big biggest things is you, you as the owner of the business you don't have to be the best person at that there's kind of this this thing about you being anti- the entrepreneur you have to you have to work all the hours that god sends and you have to be the best in the business or whatever uh, and you don't have to be you just have to create the right environment uh for everybody else to succeed yeah. uh, and that's what you know if, if there's anything that we're good at is we've done that brilliantly i think we've We've allowed people to succeed. We've allowed we've allowed people to fail and then succeed. Um, mm-hmm. So that's it. It's just just you don't have to be the best at what you do. You just have to create the right environment and then make sure you bring in the people and support them. You mentioned Haley earlier on, and mm-hmm. we've got another person, Jen. So those, those people both. Haley was with us for ten years. She was our. She was. I, I, she joined us when she was seventeen. For a house, she worked with us in Angel. Uh, she was an exceptionally talented person. You could tell that when she was very young, and um, we gave her a chance as a as a as a as our marketing manager uh, or whatever the job title we gave her, and she just did an exceptional job mm. for us. And she stayed with us for ten years, got some wonderful experience, uh, and we backed her on it. Uh, and then she's gone off and done her own thing. She's got this wonderful concept, Lucky Pineapple Bar, mm. and she's like expanding. That's ever expanding. Uh, but we've also, you know, we've also got another person in the business or outside of the business that joined us, Jen, who kind of helped us with our festival operation. Oh yeah, uh, she set that up for us. We were, we were kind of like, she came to us with an idea about, right, how about the Rep Club goes and does festivals? I had like, I haven't got an idea where to even start with that. Uh, she goes, let me do it, and we let her do it. We gave her the trailer. Uh, we said, "Go on, just go, fill your boots." And she went off and 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 did this most exceptional. It's almost like the thing I've been proudest of over the years. Yeah. It's just our our festival operation at the time. Uh, it was like voted the best festival food operation at the UK Festival Awards. It was a really weird night. Yeah. We had we. It's it's very strange, very surreal going on stage after Peter Gabriel got his his uh, lifetime achievement award and then going up as UK concession. Uh, UK Festival Concession of the Year and <laughs> receiving an award from Huey from Fun Loving Criminals. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it really cool. But, you know, it's just things that you'd never expect and yeah. that would never have happened if we hadn't backed Jen on that. Mm. And she's gone off and she's doing her own thing on festivals now. So that's like, that makes us really proud that two yeah. two of our sort of team that got us to where we were have, have, have felt, have learned enough from what we've done, what we, what they've done in our business to go and do their own thing yeah. so if you if you created a, an entrepreneurial spirit which is i think what we have done we did do a great job in terms of the people that we hired and yeah. and making sure that they had the environment to succeed brilliant so the last thing then is a little section that we call mark out of 10 where we just ask for your favorites and one bad one so 
What is your best city to eat in? So I've thought about this. Uh-huh. Can I have a country? Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go to the States. Mm-hmm. I've been influenced by the States for like so many years. And it's not necessarily now the the best food. Uh, but it it's just such a like wonderful place to go. It's all the foods that I love, which is kind of brunch, which is barbecue, which is fried chicken, which is burgers. Uh, you know, you, you go there and you, you, I've driven around, I've done a lot of road trips around the US and it's not necessarily the New Yorks where you find these like little gems. It's kind of, yeah. you know, if you go to Georgia or if you go to Tennessee, you just come across a rib shack. It's just absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's kind of, uh, you know, that's why I've got to go for a country rather than necessarily a city. Um, I did go, I went to New York last year with my exec chef to try and get some ideas in terms of menu development, because uh, in my head, I mean, I'm still like the guy that goes into Katz's diner and go, "This is amazing," and it's just yeah. like, "This is like, even though it's it's a very touristy thing to do, it's just Ooh. immense when you go in there." So they still do things amazingly well. But what was quite disappointing, actually, come back from New York and you go, "Actually, we didn't get that many ideas because London is like is caught up and actually probably got ahead of yeah. New York in that respect." So that's why. I, I wasn't necessarily going to go for a single city in terms of the US, but I think as a whole, the US is just like still, you know, if I go on holiday there, my kind of thing is, right, I'm going to eat a lot of food. Yeah. And I'm going to, I accept that I'm going to put a lot of weight on <laughs> over that two week period. Excellent. And then what about your favorite dish? What's the best thing there? So I'm going to go, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a food snob. If you're all right, I'm going to say Nando's, and I'm going to yeah. give you a very specific. Uh, so I don't get to go that often. I've got a young family, so I don't get to go out to Nando's that often in terms of uh, coming out in London. Uh, but I, I'm going to go for half a chicken, extra hot. It's got to be extra hot. Perry fries, coleslaw, and I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to go chicken livers, which extra are hot, very good, amazing, uh, and their hummus is amazing with uh-huh. that pepper sauce stuff. I think I'm the only person that can spend about thirty-five, forty pounds on himself <laughs> in Nando's. But when I do go, I've got to, I've got to make the most Blue. of it. Yeah. Blue. And what about favourite restaurant? Is there somewhere else rather than Nando's that? Uh, so I get not necessarily for the for, for the food. I, th- I think I was just listening to one of your previous podcast. It was Emma Woods at Waggers who, uh-huh. and she said about it's a, it's a setting. Quite often, it kind of sets yeah. something off. Uh, and again, it's a US based thing. And I, I've, there's a place about halfway down the Florida Keys called Robbie's. Okay. And it's just a shack on the side of the road. Uh, uh, and it's, it's just surrounded by this like turquoise water, loads of like boats come in and out of it. And it is, it's burgers, it's chicken, it's kind of all the basic American, um, American sort of classics. Uh, but it's always for me, because I have been at the, the Florida Keys and Key West so many times over the years. I've like, I've taken my mum and dad, I've taken. 30 members of the breakfast club I've always go there with my friends so for me it's that when I get to Robbie's it always feels like that's kind of yeah. where my holiday starts yeah. uh, uh, and it, it it's not necessarily about the quality of the food because it's standard American food or how but, naked he is Christmas starts holidays start exactly what about favourite drink what's your go to uh, I'm a lager beer uh-huh. drinker yeah uh, and uh, unfortunately I'm not I try I I do like an IPA and the whole craft stuff, uh, but again, if it's a, an ice cold uh, bottle of Corona or Sol at Robbie's, that's kind of where I'm going to go one. with it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I, I'm sort of, it's funny. I mean, obviously, I work in food and drink and stuff, and I'm a little bit over the craft thing. Right. I, I just, like, I've got this amazing pub near me in Brighton uh, called The Foghorn. Yeah. And it's crafty, craft, craft, like proper, you know, there's nothing sort of normal. And I love being there and I love that. But just sometimes I would just like a strong, cold European lager. Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I, I do admit that. Or a tenants. So I, I, I'm, like I said, I mentioned I'm from Yorkshire and uh, you, you go, for me, a pint of bitter in like a, a, a cracking pint of Tetley's in sort of Bradford, yeah. Halifax, where I'm from. Uh, is, is as good as anything. Uh, the craft beer revolution kind of it's not. I mean, it's, it's been in England for years, and it's 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 really kind of come from the states who didn't really have a beer culture in terms mm. of. Uh, uh, so it's a bit derived at times, I think. But um, you know, because we've we've had it for years in terms of all these kind of wonderful ales and beers that we've done, yeah. uh, and they're all done in different ways across the country. But for me. You go back to Yorkshire and have a, a proper pint of Tetley's. It's just cracking. Yeah, that's the same way I feel about tenants. Yeah. <laughs> what about then the last thing, the worst experience you've had or a restaurant you would avoid at all costs? You know, what, what turns you off? I thought about this for a while. Ah. I might have, I'm, I'm going to have a Gerald Ratner moment. moment oh. <laughs> the breakfast club. <laughs> <laughs> I think for a restaurant, and hopefully everybody's been in this position, but there's no worse experience than when something starts to go wrong in your own restaurant mm-hmm. and starts to unravel. And you know, we've got uh, Charlie McVeigh, who's our, who's coming in as our chairman over the next sort of month or two, and he's been with us. It's like we've been chatting for quite a while, and I sat down with him two or three weeks ago, and we ordered some pancakes, which you, which you think we'd sort of nail. Um, and you kind of get a sense when something's going wrong in your restaurant, even just like little signs from the staff. And I, I knew it wasn't going to go well, and uh, and it didn't. And it, 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 we got plate, plates of food in front of us. I was like, that's just not right. That's just not right. It, and you become so aware of it and so sensitive to it that mm. actually it just becomes the worst experience of your life whilst you're sat there with somebody you're trying to impress. Yeah. And it, it, it probably wasn't as bad as I had it in my head, but, you know, unless it's kind of hitting eight, nines or tens in front of somebody you're trying to impress. And if it's a five or a six, you kind of get really, really nervous about yeah. it. So, yeah, it that was, that was a, yeah, that's just not a pleasant experience when that happens in your own restaurant. Yeah. Um, I do have a, a very long-winded story to tell on a bad restaurant do experience. It? Or bad experience. Um, time. So I was uh, driving back from my summer holidays. I've got this van We've got three kids in the back, all under six years old, and we've got a dog. Uh, and it's, it's out. I'm not going to say where it is, and I'm not going to say who it was, actually, because it wouldn't be fair. Um, but I was like, I'm starting to feel like fall asleep, and I've, I've had Peppa Pig playing on the radio for the last <laughs> four hours, and it's, I just need something to keep me Didn't awake. And, and was a, a, a big sort of multinational coffee business serving coffee off the off the motorway, so I pull in for a drive through uh, and again, I get a sense that something's going to go wrong with my order. And one of, one of the, if anybody knows me, one of the things that really gets my go is when I order a, like a flat white or a latte uh, and somebody sticks skim milk in. I know it sounds like very small, but I, I know people are cutting corners because I know they can't be bothered to go downstairs and get the, the full fat milk because yep. they're just about to run out. So I, I, th- that's part of the problem. I, I've had it. Everything feels like they've run out of everything. 
I have to park the van up and get out and all that kind of stuff because this this whole thing's going really, really badly wrong. And I get taken into the cafe, uh, into the coffee shop, uh, and I said, "Look, look, so we'll 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 ch- we'll change your coffee over. We'll get you what you want." And I was like, "Fine." I was kind of keeping quite calm at this stage, uh, and then I get my coffee back, and so there you go. And I open the lid up, and it's the same coffee I've given back. Same uh, one. It's the same, absolutely the same one that I'd given back because I, it, because it was skim milk. I drunk a little. I drunk. I knew exactly what it was, and I said, "I said, are you kidding?" And I sort of showed them the coffee, and then they just burst out laughing. What well, on reflection they burst out laughing because it was that's it was like a nervous laughter, but at the time I thought oh, this is just and I just like lost the plot, <laughs> swore my head off. I'm not going to repeat what I said. <laughs> I walk out of the coffee shop trembling with anger um and then uh and then my, so my wife goes it was like it was only skim milk jonathan why are you getting like this i was like it's not skim, it's not skim milk it's not skim milk uh it's more than that it's more than that so i get in the van and i'm driving along and i'm like oh starting to regret all the things i said i'm like let's go back let's go back and apologize because it's like a broken hospitality code yeah. uh and i was she was like we're on a motorway you can't go back i was like oh fair enough Cut long story short, about six weeks later, I'm on a train from Oxford. So that gives you a sense about where in the world where I was when. Be. Yeah, uh, and I'm getting off at Paddington, and uh, I see this face, and it's really, I mean, he's a really good looking lad, the guy that was serving me at the coffee shop. Uh, and it's a really distinctive look to him. I was like, oh, this is, this is a sign. That's the guy. Yeah, this is karma. It's like, so I'm, I'm going to go and say sorry to him. Uh, I said, well, I'll, 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 if, I get, if I end up in the same place as him in terms of where I'm going, I'll, I'll go and speak to him. So I, I'm going back to the office in Soho and I get on the tube and I, I notice he's on the same platform as me. He's got his like headphones, he's a 20-year-old kid. He's got his headphones on, his head's bobbing around. Uh, and I was like, right, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. I said, so I tap him on the shoulder and he sort of takes the headphone out and he looks at me and like doesn't quite recognise me. And, and then I said, oh, I said, do you work in so-and-so? And he was like, Yes. And I was like, you might not remember me. And I could see then suddenly he's like this realisation that I, I was the angry beard. <laughs> I was the angry beard uh, 47 year old that was screaming at him back in, uh, back in wherever he worked. And I was like, look, I was a bit of a dick to you. I'm so sorry. Uh, I shouldn't have said what I said. And uh, it's like massive smile on his face. Gives me a massive hug. Oh. Uh, and we go off our separate ways and uh, nice. hospitality karma. Uh, all, all that world. kind of stuff so yeah all is well with the world so that, yeah it, I love that story because it kind of just like there was no resentment from him and he like I, he didn't deserve what I, some of the stuff I was saying but it, <laughs> and I, I shouldn't really like this, it might set me in a bad light but I, I just I'm big I'm a huge believer in this industry and, and the stuff that the people have to go through uh, and I, I see what our teams go through every day and the way they put up with it and uh, you know there's some just wonderful people in this industry and it actually, when you got down to, and I spoke to this guy, just a lovely, lovely guy, and really cared about what he did. Yeah. And I'm so glad that kind of that's how that ended. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, good with that one. Nice. What a great note to end this on. <laughs> so kindness, karma, harmony. Exactly. Lovely. Okay. Well, listen. Thanks so much for coming in, Jonathan. I know you're busy, and I know you don't do these things too often. So genuinely blessed and grateful. And um. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) Cheers, mate.
So there you go, an amazing episode with Jonathan from The Breakfast Club. Thanks so much to him for sparing the time to come in to see me and talk to all of you about The Breakfast Club, his theories in business and also what is making them so successful and plus their challenges ahead. A huge thanks to everyone who's listening. Thank you so much for telling that one friend or colleague about the podcast. It's really growing fast, so thank you for that. Also, thanks so much to BDO, our amazing sponsors who have helped us on the podcast since day one. Massive thanks also to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the podcast together every week. I really, really do appreciate it. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. I'm hungry for pancakes now. Thanks to all of you for listening, and I really hope that this episode has given you some real value that will help your brand boom. Boom.